afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Quick shout out to Clay Patton. He filled in for me earlier this week. I was at a farm show and the abundance of the noise, which is a great thing. We had lots of folks coming out to the Buffalo Bill Farm Show. It just made it too hard for me to do the program from the show. So thank you to him for filling in. Interesting day. Who would have ever thought on a Friday we'd be wrapping up with the market's Outside influence, inside influence, all talking about a balloon that has been floating and uh, kind of maneuvering across the U.S. We know it was in Montana. Now we've got reports that it's in Kansas. And it also uh, brings up some interesting perspectives as to what's going to happen with relations with China, considering that what's going on with this balloon. And we've got the fact that we've got a Brazil's crop coming on. We've got new highs in the soybean meal. Lots of factors, not even to mention what this all has meant from the livestock perspective. So let's get all the details today with Mike Zuzalo. Mike is with Global Commodity Analytics and probably one of the best people to kind of talk about what's happening in this trade today. And I, and I joked earlier when we were on the air together, I immediately think of this song, 99 Red Balloons, um, that many of us remember from the 80s. But this balloon just appearing out of nowhere has caused some big concerns on all aspects of the trade. It has, and it's because it's not a, a weather balloon, and it's not a misaligned civilian balloon that got out of the, got out of whack in the jet stream. It's maneuverable. Um, it, from one report, I understand that the um, apparatus underneath the balloon is as big as a fire truck, and so I mean, it's it's most likely an intelligence gathering balloon. And when you think China, you know, we all think commodities. We all think. Uh, demand in commodities, and, and we should because, you know, they take on uh, in the world over 60% of the iron ore when it comes to share of global consumption, Susan. They take on 50% of the copper consumption in the whole world, and they take on 30% of the soybeans, 20% of crude and gold. It doesn't surprise me as a result of that that the crude oil is going to end up 8% lower on Friday's close if it closes where it was when we started talking and that the gold is going to be down almost 3.5% on the close. And it is, I think this one thing is probably a good um, example of how powerful the Chinese situation is in terms of how the commodity funds trade. And, and we just got off of the being recognizing this from what happened with the COVID policy. And, and so we're now sitting here, and, and my biggest fear at this stage is, is that, like Russia, we tend to go towards more of a negative or a building of a more negative relationship when it comes to trade and when it comes to geopolitics with China, and I think specifically about soybeans, and I think specifically about soybeans and their increasing demand and purchases they've had recently right as Brazil comes online. And so to me, it's really about watching the meal market, watching the spreads, seeing if China cancels any exports, because we do have a big competitor coming online that fortunately for us has been delayed in the northern part of their country due to weather. So talking about that, as a producer, whether you're a livestock or a grain producer, what should we be thinking about and looking at when we start doing some marketing plans? Because we're into February. We're going to know that planting's going to be starting very soon in the south. Where should our focus be? 
Yeah, excellent question because we've got a report now coming up early next week, and, and the trade estimates are out already for that report in the news wires. And the trade on the global basis are looking at about 2 million tons less corn ending stocks in the world than what USDA gave us in January. They're also looking for 1.5 million tons on their average estimate less on soybean ending stocks. They're taking soybean ending stocks down to about 102 million metric tons, and I think that's going to be on the heels of a tighter supply in South America. I can't see it on an increase in demand at this point, Susan, so I'm thinking it's mostly on a reduction in South American supply, but I'm going to be very careful about that and watchful about that because that seems like an awful lot to take off of one month, especially when Brazil is probably at a 153, 154 crop. I can't get above 151.7 right now, but uh, the trade is, I think, mostly thinking 153, 154 on soybean production out of Brazil. So the answer to your question is if we don't see that big of a drop at ending stocks for soybeans on next week's report, I think we really do want to be on heightened alert. With meal at a fresh eight-year high at this point, how much more can we really ask of the meal at this stage? Um, be on heightened alert to make some more sales in both 23 and probably get in to finish up on uh, 22 sales when, when it comes to my recommendations on soybeans. And these crop numbers that continue to come out of Argentina um, definitely see the struggle there. Even though we saw a little bit of increase um, in their excellent category, more of it's on that poor to very poor side. It is, and I think this is where the corn it, – it, I just think corn is being sat on by the wheat as far as futures price. And as I traveled from uh, Atchison here in northeast Kansas all the way over to Scott City and did a meeting in Leota on Monday and then traveled up to see a client in Kearney um, on Monday afternoon, Monday night for supper, I, I really got the sense that this market – um, is, is seeing a cash corn market that is much more valid than what the futures is trying to portray, in part because of what you're talking about. We, think of it this way. United States is the number one corn exporter, followed by typically Ukraine or Argentina. And so you've got about 40% of the, U, the world export market in terms of the top three uh, suppliers, 40 to 60% of the export market between those three, and you've got two of those three limping now as we get to the finish line, i.e. the Ukrainian corn supply is going to go down, Argentine supply is going to go down, and therefore their exportable supplies, I think, will be off substantially. And I think the cash market by it being 50 over here in northeast Kansas for spot corn and going all the way upwards of $1.30, $1.40 as you get out into feedlot country and staying up above a dollar plus and maybe in some cases a dollar twenty up around Kearney based upon my, my uh, client, I think it really does suggest that we are very tight on corn domestically and we're very tight on corn globally and that is not represented in the futures price. All right, well, stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up as we continue with the Friday Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Hey, Tom, I see a Fontenelle sign there on your North 80. That corn looks pretty good. Well, yeah, my neighbors had good luck with Fontenelle, so I decided to give it a try. They've been around for quite a while? Well, sure have. In the last three seasons, Fontenelle's 15 top-yielding corn products had over a nine-bushel advantage over Pioneer's commercially available leading volume corn products. Wow, that's impressive. I'm thinking I might add some Fontenelle to my farm. Well, just contact your local dealer or go to Fontenelle.com if you want more information. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. ARVN. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield, continuing our conversation this afternoon with Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. 
The soybean meal setting some new highs. What did you see as some of the biggest driving factors for that? You know, part of this goes back to Argentina, Susan. I really think the trade, because of the demand side of the soy complex and the demand side of the soy meal complex, and, and it being in, able to kind of offset um, with this stronger demand and the export front, maybe some of the avian flu issues, um, I think the trade has felt comfortable going after the soybeans uh, in the soybean meal complex instead of the corn. That is in part due to the fact, I think, that we got so low in that meal oil spread. When we were in middle of 2022, that meal oil ratio, when you divide the two between each other, was 0.25. That was down at lower levels in 2008 and took you all the way back down to 2004, 2006 levels. So you were really at historic low levels when meal, uh, in terms of the meal premium, uh, versus the bean oil. We're back up to about 0.42 as of this week. That's still pretty low. We usually get up to about 4.48 to 0.5, so the meal is, is essentially uh, half the price of the oil when you divide the two. So I think the funds have really gotten underneath the meal for a variety of reasons, but I don't think there's any mistaking it. It's been mainly demand-led and the confidence level that the soy complex has had a better demand run, and, and that's why they have taken most of the charge to the upside when China broke free of their COVID policy and opened up a couple, three weeks ago. So the wheat complex definitely had its struggles for a Friday, and I know that many are banking on some upcoming moisture talk that's out there. What are you hearing from folks when it comes to this winter wheat crop and, and marketing going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's a very wide open slate because of the precip levels, and I like tracking the sixty and ninety day precip levels after coming back from my trip of crisscrossing Kansas and and, and south southern and south central Nebraska. I think those precip numbers are correct. We are way low in a large chunk of the hard red wheat belt at this point. The other chunk has got some snowpack on it, but does it have enough to really recharge moisture levels? And so my sense, again, is is that the funds in the soft red wheat are the biggest net short since mid-2019. That's the place where we're going to find the biggest short covering when the funds decide that they can kind of get the all-clear signal from the macro markets. While I think if, until we see that, I think the hard red wheat will go into more of a trading range, maybe a more sideways trading range. And we did see a 1% gain in hard and soft red uh, March futures and, and a three-tenths of a percentage gain in the hard red, with March soft red making a monthly high today before the news of the uh, Chinese balloon came out. How long do you think the volatility is going to keep going for the, for the wheat murmurs? You know, I think all the way through 23, I, I don't think there's any likelihood, hardly at all, because of China and Ukraine and, and, and now possibly, um, you know, with the central banks of the world tightening liquidity um, and interest rates going up. I think that's the other big thing, that as we see these interest rates go up, I think the volatility is going to get higher and higher. It, they'll squeeze liquidity out of the market, and that tends to make uh, gains and losses much more vicious in my experience. All right, switch gears over to this livestock side, cattle markets. They got some higher numbers. We had higher numbers on the corn. Let's talk about that correlation. Yeah, this is where I think in the short term, the corn and the feeders are still directly attached to the hip, in part because of that 14.2 million head number on feed as of Jan 1 on, those, and on that semiannual report. I think, though, at some point you'll see the feeders 
divorce themselves from the corn. Um, but like today on the weekly update on the slaughter, Susan, we saw another two-pound decline on dress weights. We're down to 827 pounds. The cost of gain, as some of my people that I've talked to this week have told me, that it's just going out of control with this cold weather. So we're down about 19 pounds on a dress basis versus last year. And so that really supports the idea that the higher the corn goes, the harder it is going to be for the feeders to keep a premium until we do start to see some lower on-feed numbers. But that's around the corner. The cow and heifer uh, numbers that have calved at this point at 38.3 million head matches 2014 for January 1. And on 2014, on that report, USDA remarked that that was the lowest since 1941. So much chatter going out there about about heifer retention. Maybe we're seeing it in some areas like Montana, for example. Other states are not. We've also heard about some lightweight cattle, very lightweight cattle being sought out of out of the western part of the U.S., California, Oregon. What do you see um, moving forward into this next couple of weeks for these guys? I see it, but I see it in the areas where it doesn't really make as big a difference or as big a splash in the pond. And what I mean by that is on that same semiannual report, Oklahoma came in and showed a 12% decline in their all cattle and uh, calves. Uh, you know, they're at 5.2 million head at this point after that kind of a decline. Montana is at 2.16. All right, Mike, best way for folks to get a hold of you. Best way is globalcomresearch.com, globalcom with two M's, research.com, or give me a call toll-free, 866-471-2588. You can get a free trial on the website. All right, that has been today's Fontenelle Final Bell, being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.